We're going to take a little bit of a, of a, of a different track this morning. We're not going to be in, in Colossians this morning. I just was thinking about the uh, ordination of these wonderful men and the way you've been gifted with elders here. And let's look at Luke uh, chapter 8, a very familiar parable. Luke's a, a book filled with parables uh, that uh, he records that Jesus shared. And uh, just thought about this this week as I was thinking about the ordination of these men and the lives that they lead and how in many ways when you select from among you uh, leaders like elders and others, uh, it is an opportunity for those of us who have been so honored to remember that we reflect God's glory and that others will look to us as a model of that and the responsibility that comes with that. So let's look at chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke and verse 16. Jesus says these words, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or maybe puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter can see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks will be taken away. Heavenly Father, as we think about these words of yours, apply them to our heart and our mind in a way that really glorifies you and causes us to love you more and love one another more and serve you more. And find more joy in our life. And again, Lord, what we've just experienced this morning with your church doing what the church has done for 2,000 years, selecting from among us, not, not individuals who are remotely perfect, but those who are called and set aside for leadership. We thank you for the lives that they've led and for the commitment that they've made. And you thank, we thank you for the gift that they are to us as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it seems pretty obvious if you're going to go to the work of lighting a lamp. And in the first century, a lamp was a very important part of what you had in your house. And you filled it with some kind of oil, which was relatively precious. And you, you would burn it, and, and it would cost you money to burn that oil. And you'd be foolish if you lit a lamp and then hit it so it didn't put off any light. And no one could see it. And so I want to talk real quickly this morning about sort of three things that this tells us. First of all, it tells us that the world is in darkness. The world is in darkness. And sometimes we seem a bit surprised by that. Even, even I do. I mean, we, we look around and we see the fallenness of the world, the sinfulness of the world, the brutality of the world, the, the, the ugliness that can be around us in the world. Anytime there's some sort of a, of a massive crime or or mass murder, or terrorist attack. You know, we're reminded not long ago, just a few days ago, of the anniversary of 9-11, and we just sort of always pause and say, how could this happen, or how could someone do this? And the reality is, we live in a fallen, sinful, dark world. And it's not just those massive sort of murders and terrorist attacks, but daily what goes on in our culture, daily what goes on around the globe with people being harsh to one another and unkind to one another and, 
and hurtful to one another and deceitful to one another. And even in our own hearts, this side of heaven, even those of us who have been redeemed, we understand the ongoing battle with, with sin and with covetousness and with wanting things that aren't good for us and, and wanting the things of the world. And as I've said before, if we could just have four or five minutes of our life where Satan never bothered us or tempted us, we would think we were in paradise. We daily live with this battling of our flesh. And even these men you've ordained as elders, they'll understand that that even becomes more intense as the, as the adversary focuses even more on them. But sometimes we really don't fully grasp how how fallen and how broken and how sinful and how dark the world is. And the only source of light in the world is Jesus Christ. What we have, what we possess. And look, I know there's a lot of people who, who want to find good in the world and great things in the world. And listen carefully to what I'm about to say. There is good in the world. It's not 100% bad. But the good that is in the world is not a result of anything mankind has done. It's not because man is innately good and he just got off track somewhere. And if we could just educate him better or come up with better laws or better societies or better governance, we could solve all of these problems. I know we're heading into an election year and I don't know. It's worse than it used to be because of social media. I mean, I don't know how much more we can take with this. It's like 24-7, all these channels and Everybody And every politician of every stripe is basically saying, here's how we can solve this problem. The reality of it is they can't. Government can't make people holy. It can't make people desire righteousness. It can make you afraid of the penalty if you don't. Things like that. But basically, it's, you can't look to any political system, any government, to fix what's broken in humanity. We're lost. But that's not to say there's not some good in some people, some graciousness in some people. It's not to say there aren't places where some things are happening that are, that are kind and compassionate. But it's not a result of us. It's something called common grace. God puts upon this world common grace. If it weren't for God's common grace, which is not saving grace, by the way. In this brief time we have this morning, we simply don't have time to delve into that. But if you would care to, just Google John MacArthur or John Piper or, or someone like that, the words common grace and saving grace, and you'll find more than you possibly enjoy reading. But basically, there's a common grace on the world. If God did not provide a common grace on the world, we would have already destroyed ourselves. It is God's common grace that gives us any semblance of society and civilized behavior. It's God's common grace that causes us to act remotely kind to one another, even if we're not redeemed. But common grace is just something he gives us so that we just don't completely destroy the world. It doesn't save us. And so even the, the, the bright spots you see sometimes in the world, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a tragedy or a heartache and, and the press will say, yes, but here are some people who've gathered to serve. That's great. That's an example of God's common grace. He's given us this sense of common grace, but it is not the solution If it were, there wouldn't be any more bad events. 
We live in a dark world. And church, we have to understand that so that our hearts are broken for the world, so that we realize we have an important role because we are in a world of darkness. And there's only one light. And that light is Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel. And it is everything. And so when Jesus says you live in a dark world, darkness is a problem. We can't see. It causes us to fall. We don't know where we are. So you light a lamp. And when you light a lamp, you can see there is light. And Jesus says so many times, I am the light of the world. When he said that, I'm the light of the world, he was talking about the feast of lights that took place in Jerusalem. And if you just imagine there's no electricity in the first century. <laughs> so you can imagine how dark things could be. No, you really, you and I really can't imagine that because there's just lights everywhere. But if you've ever been out in the desert, if you've ever been way out in the Flint Hills, if you've ever been way out deeply in the woods, if you've ever been out on the ocean at night and there's no light anywhere, I mean, you can see a light from so far away if there's no light anywhere else. The stars just light up. Well, in the first century, there was no electric light. And in this feast of lights, the temple stood on a, on a hill. It, it, it does still, Temple Mount. It was on a hill. And on, on the feast of lights, they lit torches and lamps and all kinds of things and and the light would just glow up to the heavens and for miles and miles around it was the brightest thing you could see it was like a lighthouse you could see it forever and Jesus is saying that's nothing compared to who I am I'm the light of the whole world we live in a world of darkness of fallenness of brokenness if we don't understand that, then we don't have any urgency for evangelism. We don't have any urgency for ministry. We don't feel an urgency to care for our neighbors. We don't feel an urgency to care for our city. We feel like it's somebody else's responsibility or if the politicians would just fix it or if other people would just fix it. Look, folks, we have the answer. We are the light of the world through Jesus Christ. And the world is in deep darkness. Jesus is the light. He makes it so clear. I'm the light of the world. He is the answer. He is the one that, that can change a heart from things that are broken and disgusting and, 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 and self-serving and greedy and to a heart that is loving and caring and self-sacrificing and full of joy. Only the gospel can do that. A hobby can't do that. A job can't do that. A political party can't do that. But Jesus does that all the time. He penetrates the darkness with his light. So first and foremost, we are in a dark, fallen world. It's not going to be fallen forever. There'll come a day when the eastern sky is going to open up and Jesus is going to come back. And it's not going to be a good day for some. Because the scripture makes it clear he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you ever wonder why God doesn't just pour out judgment on this world? Do you ever wonder why he doesn't just make things right? 
you go back to Joshua chapter 6, and I don't, I don't want you to do that right now, but if you go back to Joshua chapter 6, the children of Israel have entered the promised land. They've marched around Jericho, and the walls fell down, and God told them to do what? To destroy every living thing in Jericho. In Genesis, I think 14 or 15, God told Abraham, I promise you the promised land, but not yet because the iniquity of the Canaanites is not yet full. Just track with me here. (laughs) Basically, God said, there's going to come a time when the Canaanites' sin is going to be so bad that my holy wrath will be poured out upon them and they'll be destroyed. And that's what happened. That was an old covenant. In the new covenant... We're talking about spiritual warfare, right? Put on the full armor of God, the sword of faith. But when, but when John, and James, John and James, when they wanted to call down fire from heaven to devour the enemies of Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you're right, they deserve it. He said, no. When Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest, Jesus said, put that away, and he put the ear back on. The battles you and I fight here are not like the ones in the Old Testament. It's not, it is a spiritual battle because we are in an age of grace right now. And the reason God doesn't pour out his wrath on North America when we kill millions of babies in the womb every year, when we ignore every precept in the scripture when we ignore when we when we blaspheme his name on movies and television relentlessly the reason he doesn't pour out his wrath on us isn't because he's doesn't want to or he's lazy or somehow there doesn't really care about it we live in this age of grace and as long as we're in this age of grace you and i have the light of the world and we're able to tell people about the gospel and what the hope of the world is and what the hope of the gospel is because and this is really the issue there'll come a day when this age of grace ends and when he comes back and it could be instantly it could be now it could be in the next moment When he returns, no one knows. But when he returns, he is going at that point judge and he'll separate those who have faith in him and have righteousness in him from those who don't. And those who don't are be cast into the lake of fire. They will be an object of God's wrath for eternity. And what happened to Jericho will seem nothing compared to what they will endure. So here's my point. We don't become angry and bitter and mad at this fallen world. Our hearts should break for it because its future is tragic if they don't repent. Does that make sense? Don't get mad because people don't see the world the way you do. Don't get mad because they don't like your worldview. Don't get mad because they call you a bigot. Don't get mad because realize if they don't change, if they don't open their eyes to the gospel, if they don't walk into the light, there will come a day. There will absolutely come a day when they will feel the full force of God's holy wrath for all eternity. And that's why it's so important for us, those of us who have the light, to let it shine, to not hide it. Sometimes we want to hide it because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves because we have it. We just like to, we like the light, we like the gospel, we like salvation, but let's just hide it under a jar, hide it under a bushel. Don't really tell anybody about it. 
Because if we do, we draw attention to ourselves, And then we might be objects of criticism, even objects of wrath. Whereas in the first century, even objects of persecution and martyrdom. And every one of those disciples, except for John, were martyred. As were tens of thousands of other believers, as are thousands of believers every year around the world. So there's a temptation for us to hide that light in our closet or just in our home, or only bring it out when we get together with other Christians. But the scripture says, what good does that do? If the, height, if the light is foolish to, open a, to turn on a, a lamp, to light a lamp, it's foolish to do that and hide it because the purpose of the light is to penetrate the darkness. The purpose of the church is to penetrate the darkness because the souls of men and women and boys and girls for all eternity are, are at risk. And we have the light. So the world is a dark and fallen place under God's judgment. Right now, there's a, there's a glorious time of grace when he's withholding his judgment, but he will not withhold it forever. And in this time of grace, we share the gospel. We send out missionaries. We pray for the lost. We do whatever we can because there'll come a time when this, end, this age of grace will end. And God who is holy must punish sin. See, God is holy, holy, holy. He can't, just, he can't just will us to not be sinful. He can't, or he wouldn't be holy. The only way God could take care of our sin was to send his son Jesus, his only son, to, to be a perfect living individual who then took upon himself the sin of all who would be redeemed and God's wrath was literally poured out on his own son on your behalf and my behalf. And that is the only way of salvation. And that is the light. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Here's the darkness and all that it leads to. But there is a light and it is Jesus. And those of us who know him, we reflect that light. And what's the point of reflecting that light if we cover it up and hide it so the world can't see it? So there is a darkness in his sin, it is fallenness, it is the condemnation of this world, it is a brokenness. Yes, there's some, there's some brief moments of civility and kindness, but that's just God's common grace so we don't absolutely destroy ourselves. It's not saving grace. And Jesus is the light of the world and we who know him and have met him and have been redeemed by him, we are the light and we don't hide that light under a bushel. But lastly... It's not our light that we're shining. It is not our light that we're shining. I forgot who said it. One of the great old theologians or preachers, I couldn't remember and I couldn't really source it, but I've heard it all my life. It's like when this, like last night was a full moon, right? It was a beautiful full moon. It's like when the sun goes down and that beautiful full moon comes up, you can, you can literally sometimes read a book, right? By, by the moon when it's in bright fullness like that. But you and I both know the moon puts out no light whatsoever. It's just a rock. It's just a, it's just, it's just a hunk of rock there. Up in, in, it's, it's, it puts out no light. But what it does is it, it does what? It reflects the light of the sun. And you and I, we don't have any light in us. We're fallen creatures. But when we come to know Christ and we repent of our sin and we call him Lord, we reflect his light on this world. And Paul makes that clear in really a brief thing we'll look at here in 1 Corinthians. Remember Moses, when Moses wanted to see the face of God and God said, 
You can't see my face, but I'll pass by and you can see my, my back. And, and when Moses glimpsed his back, his face glowed. Moses' face glowed so much, he had to wear a veil because it was like the holiness of God would, would, would strike anyone dead, the law of God. And, and so, so here, Paul does a wonderful connection between the glowing of Moses' face displaying the law of God and how people had to, he had to be veiled as opposed to those of us who know Christ and we display the grace of God and we should let everybody see it. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Since we have this hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not glimpse the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. And from this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. In other words, they, they still don't see the true glory and the grace of God. Just a, a veil of the law that separates them from that. But when one turns to Christ, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit is, the Lord is. And there is freedom. Verse 18. And we all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of the glory to another. For this, from this comes the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, which is the image of God for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul says, and of course, he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's talking to religious Jews. They know what that story of, the, of Moses and the veil is. And he says, we, we uncover, we don't have a veil. We display the glory of God and everyone can see it. And if someone doesn't seize it, then they've been blinded by this world. And when people can look at us, when the two thieves on the cross, one can look at Jesus and say, what have you done wrong? We're here because of what we've done. Remember me when you go to paradise. And the other thief can say, you're a fool, you're a phony, you're a fake. He's been blinded by this world. And what we pray for with our friends and our family and our coworkers and people in this world is that whatever is blinding them from seeing the true glory of Christ would be removed. The scales from their eyes and unclog their ears so they can see the gospel and hear the good news and that we boldly display it. And here's the last thing. I just try to land this. You say, why don't people respond? You know, it, it, it's not your job to make them respond to the gospel when you share Jesus with them, when you talk to them about Christ. It's your job to display his glory. And if they don't respond, they're just blinded to it. And you just pray that their eyes will be open. But Paul says, the glory we have is not our own, it's Jesus. The world is a dark world, full of darkness. Jesus is the light. We reflect that. We don't hide it under a bushel. 
And so when we're elders, when we're pastors, we need to model for our church the boldness of shining that light wherever it goes, whatever the cost, and never being timid and wanting to put it under a a table or hide it under the bed because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves, but rather hold it up boldly and draw whatever attention we need to draw because it represents the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're willing to pay whatever price we must pay this side of heaven for the glory of the gospel to be made known for God's light to shine in a fallen world but we don't really believe the world is fallen and we don't really believe the world is in darkness then we don't really think it's all that important that we shine our light but the more we believe the world is in darkness the more we understand that the clock is ticking that there'll come a day when judgment will come and that we have a light that can get people out of here just follow us oh that crazy stupid old movie when i was a kid called Poseidon Adventure. You know, I can still see it. All those stars in that movie. It was cool. It really was. Stupid, but cool. You know, the ship turned upside down. They had to crawl out and they had to follow one another. And, and uh, you know, the one guy who could get him out of there, they followed him everywhere he went. But sure enough, there's got to be a morning after and they get to the top and they get out. And that's where we are. This world is like the Poseidon adventure. And we got to lead people out. We got to lead them to Christ. We got to lead them to the light. We have the light. We know the way out. We have to show it. Elders, pastors, dads, moms, Sunday school teachers, church member, follower of Jesus, leave here to know. They, I want you to know three things. This world is full of darkness. There's no hope in this world. Only common grace keeps it together. And that one day this world's going to be judged. And those people that you hate or that you think hate you and that you don't like and you wish were different, you don't hate them back. You have great compassion on them because what awaits them is something so terrible and so awful for all eternity. You don't want anybody to go through that. And secondly, there is a light. And he's Jesus Christ, and he's the light of the whole world. And thirdly, when we come to know him, we reflect that light, just like the moon reflects the sun. And it's foolish for us to hide it away and not tell anybody about it. Because life and death is at stake, and we know the way of escape. And we need to use that to show the world. In Jesus' name, I pray that the folks in this room will hear this simple message today and take it to heart. And there's some here today who've never professed you as Lord. They've never confessed their sin. They've they've never trusted you as Savior. They never really do believe there's a judgment coming. And so maybe the whole purpose of this sermon today was just to weigh on one individual and hear the reality that there'll come a day and they can't ignore it and they can't put it off. There'll come a day when judgment comes. And may we all in this room know without a shadow of a doubt, there's only one place in this entire universe where we are safe and secure, and that is in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may we run to you and run to the cross, embrace that sweet, sweet salvation, and then remove the veil from our face and let the glory of salvation shine and make it shine in the darkness. And this little light of mine... I'm definitely going to let it shine. Forgive us for wanting to put it under a bushel. Forgive us for wanting to hide it because it might be costly to us to let others see it. And for these men that have been selected by your congregation under the influence of your Holy Spirit to be elders, may they come fully aware of the 
darkness of this world and the wonderful gift of the light of Jesus that you've given them. And may they boldly lift that light up at whatever cost to them to lead others to Christ. And in doing that, may they be a model to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this church so that truly in Pleasant Hill and in Cass County and in this region, there's a definite light that punches through the darkness, that shows people the way to eternal life, eternal security, eternal joy. In Jesus' name, amen.